Hello, and welcome to Final Show Films. I'm John Ersenstaku, as you might know me on Twitter, the executive producer here, and I just want to thank you for watching. It really means a lot to us that people watch, listen to, and enjoy our shows. If you want to help us keep making these shows as fun and lively as they can be, please join your fellow fans in supporting us at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms, or by subscribing to our Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash finalshowfilms. It really means a lot to us that the amount of you who do support us continue to do so, especially our $25 plus tier supporters on Patreon. Antitonic, Cat Water Flame, Samantha Bates, Maureen Monty, and Gravity Alexander. Every little bit helps, so thank you to all of our patrons and subs. Check us out on Twitter at Final Show Films and on our website at www.finalshowfilms.com for updates, go live notifications, and more. We love interacting with you, so feel free to tweet at us or email us at finalshowfilms at gmail.com. That being said, please relax and enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking. I am John at John A. Bates on Twitter. I'm joined today by Jack. Hey, everybody. I'm Jack at Alt F4 Gamers on Twitter. And Jeremy. Hi, my name is Jeremy. I am at J. Thomas 411 Mania on Twitter and a bunch of numbers on ICQ. <laughs> and if you're curious, and if you haven't figured it out by now, yes, I do do the introductions in length of information order. Uh... <laughs> because <laughs> jack's twitter handle is longer than mine and jeremy's twitter handle is longer than both of ours <laughs> i i had legitimately never thought never realized that was why <laughs> um today we're talking about episode 55 in the belly or sorry we're this is episode 55 of critical thinking we're talking about episode 54 of critical role in the belly of the beast because we have a numbering problem. We've got more than just a numbering problem. True. I was going to say. We have a lot more than just a numbering problem. But, you know, that is one of the problems <laughs> that we have. Numbering is at the bottom of the list of the problems we have. But it is still on the list. Anyway, it's still on the list. Uh, in the Belly of the Beast, starring Laura Bailey as Vixelia, Talison Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxel, Don Mercury as Keyleth, Sam Regal as Scanlan, Travis Willingham as Grog, and Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. And I'm going to preface this with the fact that I watched this, I watched my section of this episode an hour, two hours ago, two and a half hours ago, I started watching it. Mm-hmm. I cannot remember half the things that happened in it. See, this is why you take notes, John. Yep. Even uh-huh. with notes, I still cannot remember half the things that happened in it. Did you take notes? Yes, I took notes, but I don't like, I don't go, and then Liam O'Brien breathed a heavy sigh. And like, I, I take notes for like, I take like bullet notes where it's like, you know, I was going to say, because writing this, and not this, Penny's this. note on your palm does not constitute taking notes. <laughs> I, 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 write, I, write, I write bullet notes of specific, like, notable things that happen to sort of keep so my brain on track. most of your notes track. are about Percy, is what you're saying. Uh, most of my notes are about Grog, actually. Oh, okay. I can, because I remember everything from Grog forward, and that's it. <laughs> 
it's kind of it's kind of how Grog remembers things. It's too, true. Right? It's also how that is that is absolutely fair. It's very in character, <laughs> is what we're saying. Um, previously on Critical Role, they beheaded a Goliath and pissed off a bunch of other Goliaths, and then made friends with some Goliaths, and then made friends with the Goliaths while still pissing them off. Because Vox Machina has a gift that way. <laughs> they're, they're talented people. They are. Um, they have to stay on brand. Yeah. So, yeah, so they, they made their way back to Westrum. They, they, they defeated uh, Kev Dax, took his head, took his gauntlets, took his axe. In that order. Um, and uh, then took his herd and sort of redirected them towards the idea of killing Umbrasil, the black dragon that is coming to... Uh, that is going to be coming back to Westrun to take tribute. Um, last episode ended off with them talk with them sort of a tense discussion between the leaders of the herd and the Rivermall tribe that had joined up the Rivermall tribe wanting to split. And I don't know how that ended. I, did the Rivermall leave? Basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Um, this episode starts off with Percy deciding that he wants to. Uh, he's, 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 uh, um, basically he wants to construct a giant bird trap, uh, in town, in town, in the area where Umbrasil is going to land. Uh, he's, he's trying to decide, uh, he's trying to design a, a large series of nets and weights that when Umbrasil disturbs the treasure pile that he's coming to grab, will sort of fling up on both sides and wrap around Umbrasil and sort of hold him there on the ground for as long as possible. Adding in that, adding to that plan, the idea that some barbarians will throw hooks into him and latch him in and hold him down. Yeah, it's basically, while the primary basically what you get if, if you try and cross a bear trap with a bola. Kind yep. of, yeah, yeah. No, that's a real good way to put it. Actually, um, unfortunately, there's nobody in town that can really do any of the major part of the work. They can help him move materials around, but pretty much it's mostly him. So Percy sets about deciding to make this his task for the amount of time they have before Umbrasil arrives, which is two days, I think. It's like they had a day and a little... Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, while that's going on, Vax pulls Scanlan aside and pitches to him the best plan in all of Dungeons & Dragons ever conceived. <laughs> <laughs> Asterisk. It was right. not. The best <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, Ron Howard narrator voice. It was not the best plan ever conceived. <laughs> so, apparently, Liam was having some tr- stomach trouble that morning uh, because it inspired him to suggest to Scanlan that should things go horribly wrong with their initial idea of trapping Umbrasil on the ground that Scanlan should take an immovable rod, teleport into the stomach of the black dragon, click it, and teleport out. Scanlan is I'll immediately on board. points. <laughs> yeah, no, give him style points. Scanlan is immediately on board with this plan. It being the only plan Vox Machina have ever made. <laughs> A fact that Scanlan has brought up before. Uh, um, Scan is immediately on this plan, and, and and basically the only caveat being that he needs to ask. They need to, you know, talk to Vex about figuring out what's what, you know, how they're going to make it work. Uh, which is which is far, far, 
far more responsibility than I gave them credit than I give them credit <laughs> for typically. Oh yeah. Generally typically speaking. they they would not tell anybody because they would be smart enough to know that if they tried to tell anybody, <laughs> in theory, somebody should talk them out of it. Oh yeah. Uh, the, the, and the theory here being, for those who aren't familiar, an immovable rod is an item in Pathfinder. Uh, I think it's also in D&D. Oh, yeah. Is it mm-hmm. in 5th Ed? Yeah. Okay, yeah. there's it. Um, oh, for sure. I, I couldn't remember if it was actually a 5th Ed item or if they just translated it over from Pathfinder, because I know it's a Pathfinder that, item. That, one, that one's in the DMG, man. Um, so an immovable rod is basically, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a stick, it's a metal stick that if you click a button on the side of it, it'll remain fixed in space and time forever. Relative space and time, uh, because it still moves with the gravitational spinning of the planet for the nerds out there. Uh, <laughs> don't get your science in my fantasy. <laughs> then we start questioning how super speed works, and it all goes to hell. And the flash gets so where and the flash Cyclops dies via neutrinos. Where do si- yeah? Wh- <laughs> How does invisibility work? How can you see if, if you're, you're invisible? invisible? Yeah, how can you see if you're invisible? <laughs> I do want to point out, brief aside, that is one of the best parts of My Hero Academia, which is a which is a manga and anime about superheroes and you know a superhero society where everyone has superpowers or just about everyone has superpowers, and one of the characters has the ability to go completely um, intangible, like and he can slip through anything, and he 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 makes it very clear that. I can't see anything, I can't hear anything, I can't breathe, and I can't make any noise. Like, everything passes through me and I pass through everything else, so light cannot reflect off my eyes, my lungs cannot fill with air, I am suffocating and drowning and falling all at the same time until I let it go. And that's a problem I have to fight with my power every time I use it. And I love, like, I, I, I love the hand waviness of most superhero settings because it's, it's just fun. But I also really love when authors and writers take into account, like, what this might be like if it was real and use that as a narrative device. Because, uh-huh. you know, this, this is used to indicate the hard work that this character has to do to do the most basic of tasks with their quirk. You know, like, you know, they have to, they have to uh, isolate just one part of their body to go, th- like, you know, if I want to step through a wall, I have to make half my body trans, you know, half my body permeable, step through the wall, make my right foot solid again, then make the other half of my body permeable, bring it through the wall, then go back to normal. And, like, so they're, they're using it as an education tool to sort of teach the kids in the story about how hard work and experience is the thing that makes your power strong, not your power by itself. And that's a really good lesson, you know? Right. Uh, and, and so I, I absolutely love when authors and people who are making these worlds think about those things and use them to teach a lesson. For sure. I also love also, when it's it really funny when somebody teleports into the belly of a dragon and clicks an immovable rod. That yep. too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that was one of my favorite complete sidetracks that we've done in a while, by the way. <laughs> like, at one point, we moved so far off of Critical Role that it wasn't even that. We went, we daisy chained from Critical Role to X Men to My Hero Academia and back. 
Yep. Oh, that was good. Anyways. Uh, to be fair, the number of things that you can't daisy chain off of X-Men, you can probably count on one hand. It's true. See, now you said daisy chain and X-Men. I'm just thinking of Krakoa's celebration. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I'm thinking of I'm thinking of 2001 A Space Odyssey, weirdly enough. Yeah. <laughs> Solid reference. Anyways. So where are you going with that? Anyway, um, but yeah, so they're asking Vex because she's yes. like the dragon expert yes. or something. Yeah, right? because Vex is a ranger and specializes in dragons, and so uh, they try to subtly coerce the information about the anatomy of a degree of a black dragon out of Vex. Uh, Vex offers that you know the 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 internal organs of a dragon are in roughly the area you'd expect the internal organs of a dragon to be. Which is the vague, which is the vague way of the GM going. I did not plot out the anatomy of all my fantasy creatures, guys. Stop asking. Uh- <laughs> I mean, but that's also accurate too. No, like, I mean, yeah. Like, if somebody asked me that that question, even after I researched it, that would generally be my response. Is yeah, the, the, the stomach's where the stomach is, and, and right. you know, the, the um, general reptilian physiology Kidney stones applies. are where the, yeah, or kidneys where I, the kidney is. I, I, <laughs> kidney stones I, are where the kidney is, too. Yes, <laughs> I do that want, is fair. I do want to play, at some point in the future, I want to have enough money where we can get, like, a, like a PhD. Dragon with kidney stones? No, no, a PhD, like, biologist or, or, or zoologist or whatever the ist would be. Um, to like DM a game where they have like an a- anatomy maps of all the monsters. <laughs> so there's a very interesting book from the uh, 3.5 rule yep. set period called the Dragonomicon, yep. which has those in it. I love. I just love the I still idea. Have a digital copy of that shit. I just it's fantastic. What, it oh, it's one gorgeous. Of the best 3.5 it's books. fucking gorgeous. I love. I just love the idea of like a ranger going. Jim, what do I know about dragons? Make your roll. Okay, it was high enough. Turning around, reaching up, and just pulling <laughs> down a chart, <laughs> and then pulling out a the baton. Little teacher's pointer yeah. comes out. Right? It's like, well, you see the lungs and the, and here is the dragon spit gland. You haven't come up with a better name for it because it's accurate. It's the dragon spit gland. <laughs> Here's a question for you then: How many sets of lungs does a centaur have? God only knows, and he's crying the whole time. <laughs> I, yeah, see there, Jeremy. See there, bro. You see? Mm-hmm. I don't know what stumped Jeremy. <laughs> One set. Okay. One lung. Are they in the chest of the horse part or the chest of the no, human? No, the chest bit? of the person part. So, what's in the chest of the horse part? <laughs> Sinew and connecting tissues and other such things. I just like to think they have the longest intestinal tract in the world. (laughs) Intestinal, yeah, nope, nope, nope. It's like the intestines start at the lower rib cage of the humanoid body and continue on through the horse. I've talked about this just in this past week is that they do have two sets of lungs because they need to be able to provide oxygen to a running horse's body, and you can't do that on just a regular set of human lungs and a human respiratory tract. So then you get into the idea of you got your lungs pierced. Just one set of lungs, but they're really long. They're really long. <laughs> <laughs> the lungs go from shoulders to hips. 
<laughs> I mean, you would probably need not at inaccurate. Least that's, you would need at least that. Probably size not of... inaccurate. And they have fourteen. And they have fourteen hearts. Hold on, I'm gonna go kill a centaur and then dissect it to find. <laughs> yes, they have two really long lungs, fourteen hearts, and the world's longest intestinal tract. <laughs> This is why I want that. I want that 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 part, that doctor to just pull down the thing and pull out the right. hook. <laughs> Based you on see. what we know of how they how they exist and act, these are the necessary biological requirements for all of this bullshit that we've invented. And I want it for every monster, not just dragons. Like right, you know, yeah. here's a goblin. Ob- ob- <laughs> obviously, a beholder has to have a gas bladder in there somewhere because they need a lighter than air substance to keep them bobbing up in the air. Interestingly, while goblins have levitation. A sp- while, while while goblins have a phys- while goblins have a smaller volume of brain mass, they have these they have these uh, ivy like nodules of nerve bundles that act as ancillary brains throughout their limbs. So they have I, I the would, same processing totally, power, just it's dif- I, diffused. I, 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 I was gonna say I would totally buy a a diffused psyche for a goblin body. Yep. This is why they can survive getting stabbed through the eye so much. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're only hitting a very small fraction of the nerve centers. <laughs> That's valid. Anyway, what were we talking about? Vex, Vex getting a, do- a brain download of how dragon anatomy works. I am now right, going yes. to go plan out the anatomy of all my monsters in Grotaire. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so yeah, Vex indicates that you know all the organs inside the dragon are in the spaces you'd expect the organs to be inside the dragon. With a special caveat of the acidic bile that a black dragon spits uh, or breathes, it comes from a very specific gland of concentrated acid somewhere in the neck, chest, torso region that has a much more concentrated uh, solution of acid than the stomach acid would be, which would be intense and powerful, but not instant death. Uh, The party determining that if someone were to, I don't know, say, teleport, into an acid gland, they die instantly, but the stomach, they have a little bit of time. Um, not revealing why he needs this information, uh, Scanlan uh, uh, asks to trade armor with Vex, who currently has an acid-resistant armor, Scanlan having a cold-resistant armor. Um, with, again, without questioning it too much, Vex agrees, shoes her... Uh, uh, Scanlan performs uh, a weird... Uh, 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 tease reminiscent of a particular movie reference that I did not understand myself, but probably didn't need to. Uh, I think it's like the crying something. Crying I don't... game. Crying game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which I which is I'm assuming a movie that I have never seen. It's a really good movie. I'm sure it is. Uh, so Scanlan ends up naked with the cube out. Uh, 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 posing with a small, t- with a single tear going down one cheek. Vex shoes her brother out, and then just very, un- very unglamorously strips all of her armor off and throws it at Scanlan and starts putting on the armor that they're swapping. Uh, we very quickly, we very quickly cut through the act of the armor magically readjusting to size as armor, as magic armor does in D and D. At which point, Vex finally starts thinking about the fact that she just traded away her acid armor for cold armor when they're about to fight an acid-breathing dragon. Mm-hmm. Pause for effect. 
Yep. Continue on. Yep. Uh, uh, asking Scanlan why he needed the acid armor and what he was planning on doing with all this information, Scanlan just says, I'll be doing my part of the battle while you'll be doing your part of the battle, and hastily beats a retreat. At this point, I believe we go to Grog. Unless I'm wrong, in which case we don't go to Grog. (laughs) (laughs) Those would be the two options. Right, no. Vax goes to Percy. Vax follows Percy, who is... Vax goes to find Percy, uh, who is working on his trap with the people and asks him to borrow uh, the... Uh, ask to borrow the Dragon Slayer Longsword. Then, which he does, uh, so that Percy can use the Dragon Slayer Longsword, or so that Vax can use the Dragon Slayer Longsword, because Percy's going to be shooting at it from a distance rather than getting up close and personal and stabbing, which makes sense. We get little bits of glimpses of Percy undergoing this massive construction project. Only little bits, though, because Talazin is currently call- is currently Skyping into the game and keeps losing his connection. Yes. Um... Keyleth and Vex go to find Xanror, uh, who is preparing with his wife, Aurora. Uh, they ask sort of more details about how Umbrasil comes and retrieves their treasure, start coordinating the, you know, they're, they're, they're coordinating their trap that they're laying, indicating that, um, you know, uh, uh, asks, uh, you know, sort of, sort of asking, like, what we might need to expect, you know, how does Umbrasil do these pickups? Does Umbrasil talk to them when he picks it up, or is it just grab and go? Um, Zenror indicates that he talked initially at the beginning, but mostly he's just been grabbing and going. Uh, they do suggest using Zenror's, like, uh, or, or sorry, Kevdak's body as, like, sort of a bait, uh, to which Zenror replies, you know, maybe his head might... I might be able to, like, present him his head and say he was plotting against him to get him to stay longer if we need to. Um, they offer that as a suggestion before heading off to continue their own preparations. At which point, we then cut over to Grog. Um, who has gone to the Iron Stockade uh, to sort of see if there's anybody left that might need to be released from Which the stockade like prison yeah it's the <laughs> it's the prison where it's the prison where um it's the prison of Westron, not necessarily the prison of the heard although i believe they were using it as a prison as well I mean, you know if if you've got a ready-made prison yeah um right. i think i don't remember exactly but i think he's going to make sure that the um a to look and see if anybody's still there b to make sure that the um the herd abandoned it like he told them to let anybody go go etc 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 while exploring through he finds a collection of people um uh ore Ori, Ori, I forget, I cannot remember the guy's name, but uh, some person who, he finds a person that Grog dubs Blackfoot, uh, because his feet are all covered in soot and dirt and stuff, uh, who is very charming and genial and indicate and asks please to be let out because he can give Grog basically whatever he wants. He has connections in every major city, uh, you know, Westron, Iman, uh, another place, and Grog asks him, you know, how long have you been locked up here? A few months. Why? To which Grog does not reply. <laughs> because Oh, no reason. <laughs> he does ask if he has any loved ones in Iman that, you know, he might want to get a message to or something. Uh, no, for no reason, but, you know, just in case you'd like, you know, things. 
further examining uh, the further examining the uh, prison cell, he finds three more individuals. Uh, though he finds mo- he finds them mostly from the fact that he has food and is giving it to people, and he isn't sure who to give all of the food to. Um, in addition to Blackfoot, uh, he finds uh, a wizard who helped them out previously. I- have we ever seen this character on stream? No. I don't I'm think so. I'm fairly certain we have not. Did we get a name? Yes, and I cannot think of what it is. Oh, no, there is Abjurist Noja. No. No, we haven't, we haven't met Noja before. Have we not? Nope. Nope. They had, obviously. Yeah, but... they have. Uh, they referenced Noja as being someone, as being someone um, who helped them during the win- uh, previous Winter's Crest crises. Uh, he rescued the party along with the rest of the uh, people of, ta- of, of West Run when he used his power to shield most of the party from a freezing wave uh, that was hitting um, West Run during a Winter's Crest Festival previously. This would have been... Yeah, watch out for those this was, elementals. This was in the... Yeah, this was in the pre-stream uh, game. Yeah. Um, he's an abjuration wizard, hence abjurist as his title, not yep. his name. His name is Noja. It's the only name we get or given. Um, Orn. Orn is the name of the uh, Orn Blackfoot. O R N. That's right. In addition to them, he also finds a young girl who has been kept, who has been used, who has been sort of captured and used as a hostage by the herd, named Amelia, the daughter of Reginald. Which, you know, gives Grog some pause. <laughs> Reginald being the farmer that died and got crucified out in the field, right? Yep. Directly because of Vox Machina's actions, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which Grog is, you know, he's, 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 he's holding it together. Uh, and a, uh, and an, a surly old white-haired dwarf named da- Davin. Uh, Ascertaining that Amelia needs to be set free and sent away from the town for her safety, uh, Abdrix, Noja, and Davin potentially can, and Orn can potentially help them with their fight against Umbrasil. Grog releases the lot of them and takes them away. Uh, he does indicate, uh, he does ask Scanlan uh, if he wants to come help him find Noja's spellbook, because Noja was separated from his spellbook when he was captured and he, you know, he needs to find it. Uh, Scanlan meets up with a group of them and they head to Noja's workshop where uh, they find it completely raided. Though Noja does manage to uh, recover a few things from a secret area of the workshop. Uh, when they're After getting all the things they need to get from there and as they're preparing to leave, they realize that Orn has gone missing. There is a quick, there is a quick, I don't know what I was trying to say there, quick, Back and it's okay, forth. Neither does anybody else. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a quick back and forth between Grog and Scanlan as to why Scanlan let Orn go. Uh, Scanlan goes, "I wasn't. I, you weren't told me to watch him." He says, "Oh, I told you to watch the Blackfoot." He says, "I've been watching you. Your feet are your feet are horrendously dirty <laughs> because you don't wear shoes." And the group return to the rest of town, uh, or to the rest of the party. Meanwhile. Uh, Vax and Keyleth Vax pulls Keyleth aside meets up, meets back up with the rest and pulls Keyleth aside for a brief conversation uh, where Vax wants to apologize for um, having left her alone a few weeks ago in game 
I have no idea how many episodes ago this was, like, from our perspective. But they had spent the night together, and when she woke up, he was gone. And he apologizes for it because he felt like an asshole. At which yep. point, Keyleth goes, oh, yes, no, I remember that. And, I, I, and, and goes to, at length to explain that she understands he's been going through some shit and that he's been chosen to be the Raven Queen's champion. And then from that jumps off into a story about how she was raised to uh, revere nature and that the gods ain't shit and that, uh, uh, you know, she's seen people do miraculous things, but uh, just because someone claims to be a god doesn't necessarily mean they have power over her, and so they don't necessarily have power over him, and ends the conversation by indicating that she puts as much faith in the gods as she does the people at whose side she is walking. And I, in particular, found it funny because it was a really big reaction to Vax apologizing for being a dick. (laughs) (laughs) It was sort of a, hey, I'm sorry about the other night. No, it's okay. I understand because God hates you. And so so I'm like, what? (laughs) That not being the word. That not being the wording she used, but like that's like that was the feeling it was where it was like, I understand. And then this whole thing that is tangentially related to the initial thing that that Vax was talking about. It was very funny to me to watch because it felt at least for me as a viewer, it felt like something that sort of came from somewhere. I just don't know where that somewhere was. Oh, it definitely came from somewhere. It was. So here was, here was, here was my read. It's the point where, that he's talking about when he talks about how, how, how he basically fucked off and, and, and left room was in the middle of that. He left in the middle of that conversation that they had about the state of the relationship and how much it had changed because of the whole Raven Queen situation. Was that the conversation that he was that talking about? That was the conversation. Yeah, That's that makes more makes sense. sense. <laughs> and I was so confused when we were talking before this, before we start, like the earlier way- today, about how she suddenly went militant atheist. And I'm like, first of all, not even a little militant. Second of all, Absolutely not no. sudden. Yeah. So, like, from my perspective, not remembering the initial incident, right? It was it like the yeah, way that they felt like it was out of nowhere. The way yes. they the way they phrased it, Vax was like, you know, when you woke up, I was gone. Was the wording Liam used? Right, because he had walked out and then sat outside of her. Yeah. Room. Okay. Yeah, too angst, too angst about his position, right. as the Raven Queen's champion. Right. And so, in my mind, it was like, "I'm sorry for dipping out on you in the middle of the night." And then she goes, "Oh, that's okay. I'm not religious anyway." Right? Exactly. Like that was the. I mean, well, that was the so feeling that I got. The read of my, my read of that conversation was the idea of Keyleth is trying to say essentially. That she she's trying to empathize, which is not something that Keyleth is a very empathetic per 
so, and I think this is something that I, that 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 I think a lot of us understand. She's she is a very empathetic person who doesn't know how to express that empathy because mm-hmm. when yeah. you do have when your level of empathy is as high as it is, one of two things happens. Either you become the most compassionate, caring person ever, or you have to completely shut that down and you become essentially a sociopath. The difference like, being... Those are the two... Di- those, are, yeah. those are the... Obviously... I'm I'm oh, no, 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 no. there are a lot of different paths, but those are when you're talking about in a narrative sense yeah. and the standard way that characters go in that route, those are the two ways. The difference, yeah. be- the difference being based on your sp- charisma score. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're you're a character like Keyleth, who, while very empathetic, her ability to express and communicate regarding the empathy that she feels yeah. is not even close yeah. to the level of the empathy that she possesses. Absolutely. And she's she's in a situation here where she, she's in a very awkward, I'm not sure, we're, neither of us are sure exactly where we stand with each other situation. Mm-hmm. They, they know where they stand, but they don't know where they're going, I guess would be a better way to put it. Because they pretty much expressed during the last conversation where they stand. They just don't know where they go from here and where they're comfortable going from here. Um, so she is trying to say, hey, look, I understand you're going through a lot and you are conflicted with your with 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 your suddenly being thrust into being the servant of this deity. I understand because here is my mindset on deities, which is similarly I don't want to say ambivalent, but it is similarly sort of not necessarily conducive to being the servant of a deity. Yeah, there's there's tension for both. Now, of them. And, now, and she does what everybody who yeah. what what many people who are empathetic who are very very empathy oriented do, which is in trying to get the point across, you get concerned that I'm not drawing from personal experience at all on this, <laughs> but you get concerned that you're not explaining it well, so you over-explain the issue. The that now having now been reminded of the context of the initial conversation, it is definitely far less randomly aggressively yes. militant atheist Keila. Right. But without that context, it was really out of the fucking blue. It was really out of the blue. You're not wrong. <laughs> like it would if you if you came in to this episode, like if you came into Critical War with this episode, first of all, you'd be like. Huh, they had a conversation before. I should go check that out. Also, Jesus, Keyleth, you have some strong <laughs> opinions about God. Exactly. <laughs> that you decided to insert into a heart-to-heart for some reason. <laughs> exactly. Why I was laughing my ass off. Because <laughs> that's exactly what it felt like. It was like... Yeah, yeah. Like, no, that's fair. What? What the hell? I recognize and appreciate your apology. Now let's talk about what I want to talk about. Right? Basically. (laughs) Uh. And that brings us to Jeremy's section, because that was where we, that was where I left off. 
So basically, where where she ends that conversation is saying that with all the conflict that she has, she's coming to terms with the fact that they have to that that they're in a situation where they have to work with the gods, and that maybe Vax should try and figure out where how he can reconcile that as well, which obviously obviously is much more personally relevant for Vax than for Keyleth. Um, so it is advice that he needs, and it was it was you know it's worth saying, even if it's a little bit like, um, how's the best? See, my whole thing with this, and and, and was this this was the equivalent of like I don't. Druid privilege, I guess. <laughs> would be but like yes. being somebody who can exist in a fantasy world without having any particular reliance on on deities in a fantasy world like a D and D, specifically yeah. a D and D oriented world, you are most classes in some way, shape, or form. You are reliant upon not necessarily reliant but you draw a lot of strength whether it's personal moral or otherwise you know yeah. magical or otherwise from your from the deity that you follow and in the case Druids of like unique in the case of like clerics and paladins yeah very specifically your very magic specifically powers. So. yeah our druids are very unique in that respect in that their power Specifically in fifth edition, yeah, this is something that was changed for fifth edition that I really like that they did for the record. Mm -hmm. um, is that they don't draw the they can worship deities, obviously, there, there's nothing stopping them from that, but their power specifically comes from nature. So, if a druid doesn't want to follow Forgotten Realms, is a, is a different case because you'll still end up in the wall, but um, <laughs> I mean, you end up in the wall no matter what. But but like if you if you don't want to work if you're an Eberron a, a druid on Eberron and you don't worship Badidi that that's fine that yeah. you like there is no implications from that societal and or otherwise so this is the person who literally has no need to rely on a deity whatsoever telling the person who has just been forced into the position. Of being a champion, like, yeah, man, I know what it's like. Maybe you should figure out how to deal with that. And then heading off. I do uh, wanna I do wanna clarify <laughs> for listeners. Like I do, which is not caring and walking for, away. For, yeah. for any listeners who aren't familiar, because you know, we don't want to assume people's familiarity with right. Faerun. In Faerun, in the Forgotten Realms, if you are an atheist when you die, you get bricked into a wall in hell. Yes. <laughs> like, you get there may a even block. be. I don't know. There may even be some aspect of druidhood where, if you are dedicated to nature as a whole, you may not end up in a wall. You could, you, like, they may Who even knows? be protected from that. Who knows? Yeah. I yeah. just know that that is but, one. That is one of the funniest aspects of Faerun. Yeah, yeah. Is that if you're an atheist when you <laughs> and die, this is the wall where we keep our atheists. You get bricked into a wall. It is the best aspect of that. Dire cosmology. <laughs> but, 
But yeah, so that's how it came off to me as druid privilege. Well-meaning, but still like, hey, maybe you should deal with this thing. I do want to say um, it's it, it it's it's interesting to look watching this back after cuz like the first time we watched this it was before or during uh the first Grand Terra game. Yeah. Watching this back after Grand Terra Rebirth, I see a lot of Mara's character in Keyleth. <laughs> a lot of Mara's character. I can see that. In I can see yeah, some of that, some. yeah. A lot of hope um, in Keyleth. Hope, hope was hope was Hope was militant, though, in a way that I would say Keyleth is not. Yeah. Hope, Hope had that aggressive streak. Hope Hope would be like, oh, this is what the gods, this is what we think the gods might want us to do. I turn 180 degrees and run the opposite way, even if it's a good idea to do it. Right. Just because. Into another god and then do the same thing again. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like hope was defiant for defi- for defiance against the gods sake a lot of it. And it was great. I mean I I feel like the gods really great. didn't I feel like the gods really thought that hope was a very soft touch cuz yeah. they could get her to do whatever the fuck they wanted very easily yes. with some extremely transparently basic reverse psychology. Yes, for sure. <laughs> for sure. And they and for the most actually in the end, it worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, it just wasn't it. the initial god whose bidding she right. ended up doing. Yep. But yeah, so she then heads, uh, Keyleth then, not Hope, Keyleth, uh, walks <laughs> off to, to go catch up with the girls and, and, and Vex needles her a little bit, which is, again, you know, I'm... I was I was I was a, a Vaxleth shipper before there was any real strong indication that they were a relationship, like, like it was heading that way. But my absolute favorite relationship in this in campaign one will always be Keyleth and Vex. Vex is my favorite. Vex is overall my favorite character. Yeah. In the first campaign, like I really like Vex. I really like Sk- I. I oh. I like Scanlan despite his massive and many and blatant neon flaring faults. Right. And Grog and Keel. Like, I like all of them, but like I think of the group, Vex is my favorite because Vex is the person Vex is the adventurer of the group. Mm-hmm. Like like mm-hmm. all of them are on adventures and they are all adventuring, but Vex is the adventurer. Like she's the one that wants to adventure for adventure's sake. Right. As opposed to because we have to. Yep. And I think that's part of why I love her. Yeah. That that that, that is part of why Percy loves her too. <laughs> my favorite um, character from campaign one is Victor. See, anyway, my, moving on. Keely <laughs> It's funny, actually I had this conversation with 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 my roommate recently because I got caught up on Critical Role Campaign 2. And no spoilers, people, don't worry. But I was talking about how in in Campaign 1, like, don't get me wrong, I like all the characters, <clears throat> but there is a different hierarchy of, of how I feel about the characters. Yeah. Like Keyleth, Vax, Vex. Actually, no, Keyleth, Vex, Vax. Um, uh, uh, Grog... Pike, Percy, Grog, Pike, Scanlan. And then the one we don't talk about. Um, 
Clarota? Not on the... <laughs> yes, Clarota. Clarota yes. comes after Scanlon, yeah. No, Clarota's ahead of Scanlon. No, I'm kidding. Anyways, <laughs> Actually, but... no, yeah, Clarota's ahead of Scanlon, now that I think about it. But, but, but like, there is definitely a, a, like, there's an order to them, whereas with the first, with, with, with Campaign 2, it's a seven-way tie, or six-way tie, Seven way, seven way tie for first place. Mm-hmm. Six way tie for first place, um, because the characters came in with much more. Like the first, the the first, the first campaign characters are archetypes. They're all essentially archetypical versions of yeah their their race, their class, their because for so many of them it was their first character. Elven rogue, elven ranger, halfling bard, right. or gnomish bard, gnomish cleric. Like like Randy Bard and like 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 angsty angsty rogue and adventurous um, bear loving ranger bear loving yeah Vex like, is like, the odd one I think <laughs> Vex is, but Vex fits the but Vex fits as you said the the, the Elven the Ranger adventure. yeah the Elven mm-hmm. Ranger adventure yeah. um the dumb the dumb barbarian the the um the 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 weight of the, the world cares too druid. much yeah. right the too much druid, right? Yeah. The hippie druid. Um, yeah, the hippie druid, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the the sort of angelic cleric. Um and the tortured gunslinger. And then we talk about like Perseus. If you've heard Perseus them talk kind of the about one out as well. Any of them talk about like what they came to with Nat for for the Mighty Nine characters. Like I remember I think it was I think it was uh uh uh, uh Brian was talking about like the binder full of information that Ashley put together for Yasha. Mm-hmm. Like they came to them with these huge involved oh, yeah. backstories that makes them much more co- and, and narrows that field where it's, you're more invested in the individual characters. Whereas for the first campaign, there are certain archetypes I'm just not into. I'm not, I'm not into the dumb, the dumb fighter type as a rule grog makes it work i'm not into the randy bard type yeah scanlon makes it work so yeah. it makes it work albeit <clears throat> bringing along an entire color guards worth of red flags yes oh for sure <laughs> i have bad news um, about my everyone's is bards character jeremy i no that's fine <laughs> you've heard what my everyone is bards character is right have i i don't know i don't it's remember gambit Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a it is a bard who has the warlock who's human has the warlock or has the feet of uh, magic initiate warlock, so he can cast uh, 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 eldritch blast using his cards as the focus. Yep. Um. So on and so forth. Your yeah. warlock. It, I'm it, it's crawling. fucking gambit. It's fucking. You're, gambit. Sorry, you're gambit. I'm not crawling. If 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 you have metal <laughs> boots, you are still getting dexterity disadvantage. I do not have metal boots. Of, okay. All right. What I if do they're have just a staff though? Metal plated right. boots, like <laughs> no, nope. And I am not wear. I am not wearing magenta either. <laughs> um. Anyway, gambit. gambit is do your guild hard Do your mode. eyes? Do your <laughs> eyes have pupils? Is the question. I mean, no. <laughs> okay, okay, good. <laughs> that, well, Gambit has pupils. It's just that his eyes are red. Because um, reasons. Because 
I feel like they've explained it at this. Oh yeah, no, they definitely have. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I just I can't remember what it is. Anyway, his eyes are red and his sclera is black. Yep. Yes. Yes. He's a demon. Um, But yeah, so my favorite line between the two, between Keyleth and Vax, (laughs) is Keyleth saying, "I love you a whole lot," and Vex saying, "You still think you're talking to my brother?" Um. And then Which they sort good. of make up, and then they, they they start to dig the trench that will be the spot for the trap. Um, Percy does some design of for the contrapment, and with help, successfully creates it at the cost of his restfulness, a.k.a. he takes a point of exhaustion. They then set everything up, including putting Fassbender in position, and Pike putting a glyph of warding in the treasure bait. They have Fastbender outfitted with these embedded chains so that they can potentially use him to ground Umbrasil. And a plan that only works if you don't think about it too hard. And Vax has the headband for... Um, yes. Thing. Yeah, because Keyleth gave the headband over Vax to use. Yes. Because if you think about it too hard, their plan involves having the other end of the chain... So here's what their plan is. One of the chains is basically hooked into the ground. The other chain is going to be attached... Uh, this is this is how they initially describe it. It's going to be attached to a harpoon, which the one of the Goliaths will throw into Umbrasil. A harpoon with chains this size. Good luck throwing that shit. Good luck... Well, no. Yeah, you can throw it. It's just really? the weight of the chains themselves is going to throw it. It's, there's no way you're going to stick it. Right. And if you do... You're going to be able to throw it about 15 feet. Yeah. <laughs> the weight of the chains gonna... doesn't matter at that point because the harpoon will get pulled out you before just, any... Well, no, no. Harpoons are designed to stick like because they have, they, have, uh, they have jagged tips. Are, are, so are that designed to when stick they at a level that it's going to... That it's going to be able to hold an iron golem aloft, or I mean, no, but you know, it's gonna get ripped the, out. The chain yeah. would break, I think, before the harpoon ca- gave in. No, 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 the giant, no. the giant iron. There's chain. a reason that when harpoons were utilized during the whaling industry, that they had ropes attached to them. You know, things that have a little bit of elastic give yeah. rather than something rigid like a chain. Yeah, and these were these were specifically denoted to be some pretty heavy chains too yeah. so yeah like i said it only works if you don't think about it too hard spoiler no, in terms of rule of cool yeah it hits all your it's all your target marks there it doesn't matter because in the end when the fight actually happens which will be getting too shortly they they forget that they forgot to to have one of the goliaths be holding on to the other end of the chain <laughs> the chains are pretty useless but it was a cool idea um and it's their first time planning give them a break it's a- right and <laughs> keyleth uses the last bit of her stone shape energy that she used so that they could get the chains into the end of fastbender to make the fastbender's mustache that uh uh that that vax had had, had charcoal sketched on him she also dug a bunch of she also dug a bunch of 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 this is something that happened in my thing in my part that i forgot about because my eyes glazed over at a certain part in the middle of my right. section. Um, uh, she dug a bunch of trenches, uh, ambush trenches for the glaths. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so 
she she ends up taking Raven form, goes out to do some scouting as Percy and his crew bring the spring trap out, and Vex very capably camouflages it. Uh, Vex then comes up with this plan to make it seem like they sacrificed <coughs> Scout Jack to Umbrasil, which Grog is not okay with. Or presents it to Grog reasons. at least. Because they had talked to they talked to um Yes. Uh dude about it previously. Yeah. Uh, Grog is not okay with it, for one, because it means that he will have to give up Kevdak's head for a brief period of time. And two, he wants to be live bait, which lasts exactly as long as it takes for Pike to give him an expression. And then he changes his mind. What's the, <laughs> what's the expression, Precious? It was just this look of like, nope, you're not doing that. Um... Vax, meanwhile, has um, talks about the idea to 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 of 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 his and Scanlan's plan, um, not to the group, just 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 in general, and does some magic item rearrangement in order to make their overall allotment both most beneficial for everyone. Uh, uh, Vex almost gets the the headband, but. There's an uh, there's an attunement concern there. Uh, the boots of haste end up with somebody. I want to say they end up with they end up with Vex. Um, yes, because it takes a long time for him to get those boots back. Yep. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, they head back in town so that they can do two heroes feast casting via Pike and Keyleth in order to boost their party and the best people in the heart. Uh, after that, everyone preps for bed. Um, Avex sneaks off to Keyleth for, for, for a private moment. The next morning, uh, the Alliance goes over their plans one more time and then head out. Pike makes an attempt to call on Serenray for some direct aid, but rolls an 80, so no. Uh, Pike also casts, some, casts a death ward on Scanlan, protection from energy on Vex. Grog gets protection from energy on, on from Keyleth. Both for, no surprise, resist acid. And then they lie in wait until Umbrasol flies in, uh, checks out the city, and then lands right in the trap and everybody springs into action. And the tra- the, plant's- the plan works at first. Uh-huh. Like, it, 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 it starts to work. Vex casts Hunter's Mark, fire it hits with a few arrows. The herd leaps in, tries to throw their hooked chains and trap, trap Umbrasol on the ground. Raj goes, Grog goes on a rage. Umbrasil tries to sweep in with a tail attack on Grog, but gets distracted by Scanlan. Uh, fails to break free from, from, from being bound onto the ground. Percy and Pike hit with, with, with their gunshot and a guiding bolt. Spiritual weapon attack misses. Uh, Fastfender tries to slow the dragon. And it does not take effect, at which point it is Jack's turn. So before we continue so, on real quick, yeah. I want to bring yeah. up a thing that I that I was thinking about ever since watching the episode. And just because we're getting into combat now, and it's it's relevant to combat in particular. Okay. Um, in, in, in Dungeons & Dragons, in 5th edition in particular, um, wizards prepare their spells every day. Uh-huh. Uh, but to do this, they have to have their spellbook on them. Meaning that if they don't have their spell book, they can't prepare their spells. 
So from a narrative perspective and also from kind of like a mechanical perspective, what do the two of you think about the idea of effectively disarming a wizard by removing their spell book from them, like when you're capturing them or something, and over the course of a day or so, them just not having the ability to prepare any spells anymore, thus not having any spells. Depends on how long. Day? Like, like short term? I'm okay with that. In a narrative sense? Like, if if you're, you know... That is a dick thing to do to a player. Yeah. Yeah, as we've discussed, from a narrative sense, like uh, writing a story, doing a doing this this kind of thing has done been done all the time. Stripping up, stripping somebody of their powers, and forcing them to deal with the same sort of threats that they do normal. You know, when they do have powers without, is a very common trope, particularly in genre uh-huh. genre entertainment and superhero Comic stuff. Books. Yeah. Uh, uh, more than just that, though, like uh, uh, horror, action, super, uh, supernatural kind of stuff, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. That that that's a very common trope, and it is something that can absolutely depowering is something that can absolutely work in a role playing game. Even potentially in a semi-long-term situation, with understanding from the player that mm-hmm. they are okay with this, yeah, it's not something that you should ever, in any circumstance whatsoever, spring on a player that you don't know for certain is going to be okay with it. Yeah, I bring it up because, as as, as mentioned earlier, uh, Abdurus Noja had his spellbook stolen or, or taken yeah. away from him. And so he'd been in jail for quite a long time, and so he didn't have any spells prepared and couldn't do anything. When they got him out and got him to his thing, he was only able to find one of his backup books, I believe, like one of his older mm-hmm, spellbooks, mm-hmm. not right. his most current one, which means that even though he now has access to an amount of his spells, it's not his full arsenal. It's it's yep. a reduced version of his arsenal. And mechanically, he's an NPC, so we don't really necessarily care. But it, it was just sort of a fascinating idea that of this wizard, you know, a wizard character in a narrative being forced to use either a reduced spell list or just their right. cantrips or whatever because they're, because cantrips don't have to be prepared, but anything first level above does. Mm-hmm. By them losing their spellbook, or by them having their spellbook stolen, or right, or or having to use a different spellbook. That's a narrative tool. It it, yeah. it allows it allows somebody who is a supporting character, aka an NPC, to be in a situation and still be a very powerful character without having them solve the situation for the or. or or without without taking any of the onus or 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 responsibility or ultimately the glory and 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 and, and capability proof off the main characters. Mm-hmm. Um like I and I'm pretty sure that's probably why that was the case there was Matt 
didn't want them didn't want there to be a chance that they say hey you're ungodly powerful can you help us kill this dragon and make it a piece of cake yeah <laughs> um and yet should they encounter him later once he's you know rebuilt up his spell list they still have to give him some level of respect yeah because he can probably kick some of their asses. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting thought because it, it reminds me very much of the prisoner issue of the becoming a prisoner issue with player characters. Like it's really hard to capture players in D anD D, not because not necessarily because mechanically it's difficult, but because they like vehemently reject the idea of becoming powerless in that fashion. Typically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it 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 sort of brought me to mind of like that as a tool again not not something you spring on somebody or something you just use willy nilly or all the time but as a tool for presenting that sort of a challenge oh, to your player sure. characters. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and and I agree. Players in general, yeah, don't like any level of being of uh, of feeling like their characters are 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 not in. Have a loss of power is probably the best way to yeah. put it, or are powerless. Yeah. Yep. Whether it's whether it's being thrown in jail, or whether it's having their having their their magic or superpowers stripped away, or whether it's something as simple as you bring in an NPC for a fight, they're too powerful. They're the ultimate determinant of that of who wins that fight. Like that's the one that always gets me. Yeah, if a DM brings in like their pet piece, their pet NPC, who is basically wins the fight. There are times where you that serves as a good intro for a character. Yeah, but like a perfect example of it, if we're go, talking about Grand Terra, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a rebirth, is imagine you know Selena's big fight against uh against cal yeah and imagine if you had brought in um what was your what was your halfling your halfling barbarian oh um um yeah uh, imagine if you had brought in clane into that yeah <laughs> to like fucking destroy <clears throat> cal and like that completely robs that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind that always irritates me. Um, but yeah, no, that's definitely something players don't like feeling powerless. My, my, my NPCs always mysteriously vanish to do other things whenever the big bad comes around. Yeah. Like, and and Clay <clears throat> came in and had a big moment where he basically won the fight, won a fight for the party in his first appearance. But it wasn't a, it it was a fight where. There were stakes because it was a fight, obviously. <clears throat> and in D anD D, any fight could be a TPK. Yeah, but it wasn't a fight where there were emotional, like serious, built-up emotional stakes in the battle. It was also a fight that was more about him than yes. your par- your party in general. Exactly. That whole scene was basically a way to introduce him. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Although Kulain Kulain was. For it was Grand Terra Adventures. You're right. You're yeah, right. Clay was Adventures, mm-hmm. not Rebirth. Right. But, but the yeah. point still works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry to interrupt, Jack. I just wanted to bring. I no, because it's, okay. it's an interesting. Honestly, during thing. my section, mostly what happens is the gang tries to do a murder. Yeah. <laughs> now you know it's Jack, an ancient. Jack threw the short straw and got right. the fight this week. Right. Yeah. No, it's an ancient black dragon. So trying to do a murder it's... takes the rest of the episode and doesn't actually finish it. You but... have no. you have to give it the correct intonation. It's an ancient black dragon. Sure. Which was the thing that happened at the top of the show. Yeah. But, you know, and and of the the interesting things that happen, it's mostly this fight for me is mostly <clears throat> camera cuts back and forth. Primarily with the fact that Vax takes a shrinking potion, potion of reduction or whatever, you know, anyway, something that turns him roughly more into Scanlan's size, if not a little smaller. And the two of them dimension door into the dragon to yep. do the aforementioned immovable rod stratagem. Stupid move. Stupid ass move. Brilliant move. Brilliant, but stupid. <laughs> it's amazing how often those traits coincide. It's yep. true. Um, true. And so it's it's very much a meanwhile inside the dragon and then cuts back to outside where all this action is going on and people are throwing chains and raising stone pillars and attempting to hem it in and dodging wing strikes and lashes of the tail and there's bolts of acid coming out and people summon eagles many many times only to have them immediately annihilated to no effect um <laughs> and then meanwhile back inside and Rax has his face showed in between two pieces yeah. of muscle like this and is desperately trying to use a sword. Um, you know, and it, while there's not a ton of characterization that happens, it felt very cinematic in a way that can be, honestly, is, is a difficult thing to pull off in a tabletop game because everything is slow, slow and beat by beat and that sort of, that sort of thing happens. And, and it can also be difficult when you've got as many NPCs on the board here, it's easy for it to feel like the DM is playing a game by himself. <laughs> Everyone is warlocks. Uh, while <laughs> while waiting, I for, offered to help. <laughs> I know. Uh, while waiting for you know player turns to come around and things like that, and but two people are inside the dragon trying to cause problems and use the immovable rod, which they do. Uh, Scanlan casts like a ridiculous thunder wave in there and blasts himself halfway across of a, a, a giant dragon's stomach. Uh, meanwhile, Keyleth is in earth elemental form. Uh, Grog is throwing his weapon to try and latch it into Umbrasil's hide so that he can join uh, his former herd in attempting to hold this thing on the ground. They actually keep him on the ground for a little while, but he does eventually get up off the ground into the air and once he's got those wings moving and has overcome the the tethering of the immovable rod because basically he has to succeed on a certain level athletics or strength roll which when you're an ancient black dragon you get strength out the ass so he does eventually um and the episode ends with umbrasil flying off towards his his lair on the top of Gat's shadow, which had been referenced in the previous episode when, uh, when Zanro was talking about where they were initially planning to ambush him mm -hmm. trailing Grog, who's still holding on to his chain to the blood ax that is still embedded in the dragon scales um, with Vax and Scanlan still on the interior. 
And it's an excellent cinematic sort of cliffhanger. The fight is very obviously not over, but what's going to happen next sort of moment. It's also an interesting way of like forcing the party into action. Cause you know, if all of them had remained on the ground as Umbersil took off by himself, they would have spent the entire next episode arguing about whether or not they should follow. Right. But that's, because so, Yeah. No, mm-hmm. that's the thing is it's a br- legitimately both parts of this plan are one of Vox Machina's better plans. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not even saying that in the lowered expectations capacity of Vox Machina. Like legitimately the the both parts are are smart. It's just that one of them is also really fucking stupid. Um and both parts work. Like I think that's my biggest takeaway from this fight mm-hmm. yeah. is that shit they had a plan. They prepped the plan. They executed the plan. I'm talking about the the ground stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the plan worked. Yeah, they it it was it was at least periodically effective for a, yeah. for, a for a section of the fight. And and I want to say I want to point out uh, for all the G, for any GMs listening out there, if your players take the time to make a plan in front of you reward that shit because yep. like because oh, yeah. mm-hmm. there there is very there are very few things in a in a game of, in a tabletop rpg that it feels better than your plan working mm-hmm. um and even if it doesn't work necessarily the way you wanted it to that it worked in any capacity makes you not only feel better about it but also more inclined to plan in the future yeah. um because Legit. you you got that positive reinforcement of it and mm-hmm. and by by let their plan succeed, I don't mean let them win, because like as we see very much right here, they didn't kill Umbersil there, and the plan worked for a while, and before mm-hmm. the dragon could get free and fly off. And also to clarify, to rip free of the uh, of the the immovable rod, the dragon had to yank themselves so hard that the rod come ripping out from the insides. Yeah. So mm-hmm. even that plan, which worked for the most part. Even when that plan got foiled, it still had a lasting effect of doing some well, additional and damage. I don't and th- it was it was dramatic, and it was yeah. you know it was it was <clears throat> satisfying. Yeah. I would say it unequivocally, like like not, not even qualified. It, it not not even on a qualified level. It absolutely worked. Yeah, because if if they hadn't had that plan, let's say they fight. They managed to do enough damage where, 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 where. By the time it had the power to fly off, it would have made it back to its lair with a lot more strength than it otherwise had. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like I was saying earlier, now with the three of them going with it, next episode is going to be, okay, we need to go help them and kill the dragon. Yep. Rather than if the three of them had been left behind... I guarantee the entire next episode would have been them humming and hawing over whether or not they should follow the dragon. <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. And then by the time they got to it, the dragon would have recovered significantly more than it will have. Um, so I, I, I think this is a brilliant way to... I think this was a brilliant ending both to reward the player's creativity and planning and also to 
indicate exactly how much of a threat this creature is and that they can win and they have to keep fighting. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very good and 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 as far as narrative goes that is the that that's a way to keep your readers or watchers hooked. Cuz like you you as an audience having invested some of your, you know, your wishes and hopes and dreams and desires into these characters have seen them succeed partially. So now you have to make sure they succeed the rest of the way so you keep reading or watching or whatever. Yep. Because we're wired like that. So yeah, uh, anything else that the two of you want to touch on, like as as points you want to highlight or talk about more? Uh, no, I think now nah, that pretty much covers it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to be it for episode fifty-five in the belly of the beast. Uh, next time, we'll be coming back to you with episode fifty-five of Critical Role, episode fifty-six of Critical Thinking. Uh, one of these days we will do two episodes <laughs> in one. One of these days, called one of the big, one of the big boss fight ones. Well, it'll be, yeah. it'll be one of those where it's like, a, or it's like when, where it's a two-parter or something, yeah. and we'll like condense it because because the two-parter is f- like two and a half hours of fight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like I feel like crosses over. We're gonna, like something like this one. Yeah, where the where it is. Two hour, like, like it's two episodes that are full just fight sequence. Or, alternatively, we will just wait until the very end and we will compress the entire, like, <laughs> five episode yes. fight that is the finale into one episode. And then we'll, and then that will give us some leeway so that when we, when we end up having to split episodes for campaign two, We'll, well still not be well. It won't matter because then we'll be campaign two, episode one, campaign two, episode oh, two. Oh, is that how we're gonna do it? Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I find I find that probably easier to keep track of for people re- watching than it would that's be fair. to go like that's episode fifty seven, episode fifty eight, episode fifty nine. You know. I mean, if that's the case, we really need to go. If we're just trying to do it to make it easier for people to keep track, we need to go back to that point where we where where we split one into two and call them part one and part two and just match up too late i know it's a lot of work <laughs> i understand that's a lot of clicking and renaming that's a lot of work and uh i don't get paid for this so <laughs> alternatively it's fine we just at some point we'll forget to progress the number forward one and we'll have like two episodes 63s there you go that that's how we that's how we do it. We yeah. we we forget to do a thing. Anyways, I've been John, and I'm Jack, and I'm Jeremy. And one of these days we'll have an outro. Say goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.